The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week, and it is a pleasure to be joined by my co-host this week, Zach Sloan. How's it going, Zach? What's up, Ryan? Man, I'm great. How are you doing out there? I'm doing so great. It is so good to see you. Man, you look you look well quaffed today. The the hair, just fan, the spit curl, like the... Like, do you got product in there? What, what's going on? You, you, you look marvelous. Yes, I, I use a light pomade. Um, I, I think it's a good time to let your listeners know that Break the Business is transferring. It's, uh, it's, we're pivoting. It's, we're, now a, uh, we're now a fashion podcast. Um, <laughs> and so I decided to debut my new, my new look of shaved and actually showered. That, so every, wow, you actually showered and shaved for us this week. That's how that's how you know you must be excited for this particular show, and you have every right to be, Zach, because this is going to be a fun one. Our guest after the break is James Priestner of Rare Americans, the lead vocalist. There's a lot to like about this guy, Zach. I know you've been checking out his music. He does a lot of cool things in his career, and the songs, the songs, Zach, are so good. They're they're dope. In fact, if I have a playlist of just like indie artists I love. I just added a full record or two of their stuff to that playlist because it's the one the the one that we've got queued up today is one of my favorites. I'm pretty I'm pretty stoked. A lot of great stuff to like on the music side with them. The songs acts absolutely slap. The, uh, James and Rare Americans do a lot of great things on the business side as well. The music videos they make are really interesting, really clever. The way that they run their career, the way that they engage with their fans. There's a lot for indie creators to learn from Rare American, so we're excited to talk with James about how their band does what they do. I wanted to lay something on you, kind of a personal note. I wanted to wanted to get your uh, thoughts on this before we get into the show this week, Zach. As a, as a fellow nerd uh, and a fan of all things nerd, I, I find personally, I, I have a lot of trouble spending money on nerd things. I, I love nerd things, yeah. but like when it comes time to like put down the credit card on something, it's just hard for me. But I finally broke down and got myself my first capture card for streaming. And, uh, Oh, cool. Yeah. Like I, I have been streaming Xbox on the break, the business channel here on Twitch, but I've only streamed Xbox cause you don't need a capture card to run Xbox cause Xbox works with computers and you can stream it over the internet. But I'm a big Nintendo Switch guy. Love me Nintendo Switch. And you can't stream the Switch without a capture card. And I've been looking, I've been like talking myself into it for months. Like get the capture card and I've never, I could never get myself to pull the trigger on it because I was just like, it just seems frivolous. You can already stream Xbox. But then this Mario Golf game came out and the world needs to see me play this game poorly I've decided. And so I've broken down. I've got the capture card. And now the Break the Business channel will be showing me uh, doing some terrible Mario Golf during the week. Are you a Mario games guy? Have any of these games spoke to you? I don't have a Switch. Um, but I'd say if I did. I mean, if you don't like Mario Kart, right, you have a hole in your soul. 
I have, I have seen some uh, clips of Mario Golf, and it, it looks just like a good time. I, whoever designs those games, hat, hats off, man. They 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 continually crush Mario. The Mario World is fantastic, and this Mario Golf looks ridiculous and exactly uh, right up most gamers' alleys. I think. What is your favorite Mario incarnation? Is it the platform games? Is it the baseball, the soccer, the tennis, the golf, the cart, the party? So this is, I mean, this is dating me a little bit, but Mario Kart on the Nintendo Wii. Because that was, we got, my wife and I got a Wii for our wedding. And so we, I had it for my second and third years of law school. And the amount of time I spent playing Mario Kart at like 2 a.m. when I couldn't sleep because I was stressed about some law school crap. Uh, is th- those numbers cannot be counted? But it got me through two years. <laughs> Wait a minute, I I have to ask you about this because as somebody who has also gone through the slings and arrows of law school, you actually played video games through law school and lived to tell the tale. Because like I had to keep my Xbox in mothballs throughout law school because I was afraid that if I got into any Xbox game, I would have just flunked right out of law school. Well, the the beauty. See, this is where the Mario games are perfect. Right, and this is where the Wii was perfect, and I think the Switch has a little bit of this too. Um, there, there were no lengthy games. Like there wasn't like a Final Fantasy or some giant like takes two hundred hours to complete game on the on the Wii. So it's like I could play two races of Mario Kart, and then I could just be done and get back to work. There was it's not like a time suck in the way that some other games can be. Um, so I was able to do it. And plus, also, most of my second and third year were, were practical stuff. It wasn't a lot of tests. It was a lot of, like, just basically working, which was great, <laughs> yeah. but also insanely stressful because you don't know what you're doing at that point. Well, that, that is sort of the hidden secret of law school, right? Like, law school's really hard. But what people yeah. don't tell you is that it's not that law school is hard. It's that the first year of law school is insanely hard. And if you live to tell the tale... The second and third year, you can muddle your way through, and it's not nearly as bad. You just have to get through that first nightmare of a year, and then maybe you have some time to play some Nintendo Wii. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah I definitely did not play video games my first year law school. <laughs> okay, now it all that, makes that sense. Not you read a thousand pages a night. That's that's no joke, people. Um, yeah, it's 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 brutal. Yeah. Well, I feel like Zach for the first time since law school, I've read about a thousand pages in the last 48 hours because Taylor Lorenz of the New York times put out, (laughs) I think like a thousand articles in the last three days about the creator economy, about indie creators. And I was just devouring them and learning so much because all these articles were so, so good. They were so good, Zach. I actually bought a damn New York times subscription uh, today because I, I just wanted to w- read all these articles and I kept getting paywalled and it was driving me crazy. So I finally yep. got the New York Times subscription. I'm now a New York Times subscriber for the first time in my life. I might cancel my subscription by the end of the week before they take my money. But as it stands now, I am a subscriber because of how good these articles were. Taylor is prolific, yeah. to say the least. Um, if you just open up her, her uh, if you click on her name and it shows you all the articles she's written, the amount of stuff that I think indie creators should probably be paying attention to from her specifically is pretty high up there. Not that she's necessarily a music writer, but she's really in on like the tech and the business side of things, which plays right into the wheelhouse of what indie artists are doing right now. Absolutely. I mean, in terms of the two, the two writers that I think every in- indie artist should just devour their articles the moment they come available are taylor lorenz uh to get an idea of just the pulse of the economy of the creator economy and just the latest news and then somebody like sherry who 
you know, who who's now a kind of a free agent in terms of the stuff she writes. She writes on her own platform, Water and Music, and everything she writes. If you want to know about the tech side of music and VC and the newest developments and how they affect creators, she's the person to read there. And the thing about both of them that kind of makes me a little jealous and drives me crazy, Zach, is they're both super young. I mean, I was not <laughs> capable. I think they're both they're they're both like in their twenties, and I was not capable of the insight that they have and the idea that they have their finger on the pulse of the creator economy so well and have accomplished so much at such a young age. Yeah, I'm insanely jealous for sure. But Absolutely. great articles all around and quite articulate. Yeah, just brilliant, brilliant. And I mean, I've had Sherry on the show a few times. I want to get Taylor Lorenz on the show. Uh, you know, she's she's probably really busy right now because she's sort of having a moment. Uh, because when she's not writing amazing articles that we're going to talk about right now, she's getting just sort of like inundated with like crazy idiots on Twitter who just like want to, you know, say crazy idiot things to her. And she handles all that pretty well and writes great articles like the three that she's written this week. That's right. Three articles in the New York Times by Taylor Lorenz this week, all about the creator economy. First one I want to talk about here is that one she wrote, co-wrote with Mike Isaac in the Times talking about Facebook and mm-hmm. how Facebook is finding itself in a position where they've long been the leader in social media and, and one of the most powerful, largest web platforms, tech platforms out there finding themselves playing from behind against upstart platforms like TikTok and YouTube uh, in ter- and Twitch in terms of uh, being an online content platform. Because, and what this article talks about is that right now all these big tech platforms, your TikToks, your, your Twitches, your YouTubes, your Facebooks, your Twitters, they're all fighting over you, the indie creators. Because... They know that this is where the new world is now. Like people are consuming less and less traditional media, less and less TV, less and less movies, and more and more TikTok videos, YouTube videos, um, and you know, internet-based media. And so there are all these platforms are trying to get these the so the creators to come onto their platform. You know, make your stuff on YouTube, make your stuff on Twitch, make your stuff on TikTok. And Facebook, for the first time since they've probably been created, is in a position where they're behind in this regard. Because a lot of the creators, a lot of the folks watching and listening to this program right now, have already kind of made their choice about where they want to be. They're on TikTok. They're on YouTube. Because those platforms have already set up a lot of stuff for them to be a a creator-friendly platform. Whereas Facebook, despite how great it is, is still a social media platform. It's a place where you go to find out, like to look at the new pictures your aunt posted of her new cat and not the place where you would necessarily go to check out the latest, coolest indie creator, whether they're a musician or a podcaster or an actor or a comedian or anything like that. But that is a huge challenge for pit or for a Facebook as, as the article notes, because that's what people are doing now on media is they're using it as a source for content and not just a social network. And, uh, yeah, so Facebook is is behind here, and um, and and their platform is sort of in a position where they can't. They're sort of a block with their platform in the sense that it's really built to be a social network. It's not built to be the place where you watch stuff like YouTube and TikTok are. And so, until they can sort of figure that out and figure out how to make their platform hospitable for creators, they're in a tough position. That being said, another article from Taylor Lorenz that just came out just before we went to air here 
I'm guessing Facebook must have seen the Taylor Lorenz article that came out earlier in the week and they already wanted to prepare a response for it. And so Facebook has just announced some people. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, tell me that's not a big tech solution to any problem. Throw money at it. Facebook has announced first thought (laughs) Facebook has announced that they are going to pledge over one billion dollars. That's billion with a B uh, to recruit creators onto their platform over the next 18 months, a billion dollars, because they know that this is where the future is. If they don't become a content platform and not just a social network platform, they're going to get left behind, especially as the Facebook audience, which is us, you know, older folks, millennials, Gen Xers and boomers are getting older. And so you got to replace them with young people. So I think this is an exciting opportunity for creators in general, because I think, you know, TikTok just announced a a new plat a new creator fund. Uh, Twitter is creating uh, incentives for its creators, and now YouTube, Facebook, all of them are trying to court creators, creators like the folks listening and watching this program. And I I think there's a lot of opportunity there as more platforms get into this game and are serious about making their platform hospitable for creators and not just social networking customers. It could mean real money and real advantages to creators. I think so. It's I am, as always with Facebook, though, skeptical about the longevity of these types of things, because mm. it was I don't I don't rec- or I it seems like not that long ago where they decided to try to go toe to toe with Twitch on video game streaming. And that has not worked out. Really hasn't. Well, we lost Zach there. Um, yeah. That, I mean, Zach. Really well. Oh, we lost. And I think uh, what you hide. What? Wait, do we have you? Are you back? <laughs> I'm here. All right, the there we idea. go. Um, Whatever that makes for great radio. Um, <laughs> no, my 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 point was is that like part of me see, sees Facebook is not learning from past mistakes. I'm glad they weren't willing to pay for this, and I think they should. However, your point, I think, needs to be very much considered by Facebook. Is are they the medium for this? Hmm. Because they lost out to Twitch and video games. I don't see them competing with others with other entities. So, in a sense, are they by trying to diversify? Are they just going to alienate their core audience, and then this doesn't go, this goes away relatively quickly? That's my big concern. So, you think that Facebook could be hurting themselves with these efforts because they're trying to be something they're not? They are, they are the platform to watch your aunt's, to see the pictures of your aunt's cat, and they need to just yes. stick to their knitting, as my old professor used to say, and you know, not try to be this content platform because the platform is just not built for it. And and the marketplace is not trained to see Facebook as a source for content. Facebook is the thing that people will, and maybe they just need. Maybe they're in. A, this is an attempt to overhaul that. But Facebook is the thing that people go to to scroll by when they're killing time at the DMV. That's yeah. really what I see it. And this, and I think also some people use it to actually keep in touch with photos. But that's taken up that space is principally Instagrams now, which Facebook owns. So you know whatever. Um, but it's not a it's not a medium designed to sit there and watch. And I forget who said it, but it was somebody uh, on your program who said the problem with Facebook lives and stuff is it takes away your phone, whereas Twitch doesn't. And so because people watch Twitch on their computer. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if Facebook's going to try to enter that space a little bit with this. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think this is good. I hope creators get paid. I'm concerned about the longevity of Facebook actually doing this. I also see an issue with the audience. Right, we, we spoke about how Work. Facebook's audience tends to skew older, and I think the sort of people that are willing to consume the kind of 
uh, content that you watch on your phone, whether it's TikTok types content or YouTube type content, those people skew younger. So I'm wondering if there's just a, a mismatch in the marketplace here. The kind of people that Facebook would need to target with this kind of content don't even have Facebook accounts. So how do you get them to come to this platform, especially when they've already gotten themselves plenty addicted to Snapchat, to TikTok, and even to some extent YouTube and Twitch? Right. Facebook is, I think, frankly, for a lot of a lot of younger people, too slow of a medium, right? Um, things happen in at a different pace there than TikTok, which I think is the pace of social media right now. And so I, I just don't see Facebook as a place to sit and watch for an extended period of time. Well, in the end, though, I, I never, you don't want to count Facebook out in this sense. They're really damn big. And they got yeah, plenty they, they got of cash. money, right? <laughs> and there's always the scenario that if they don't like where things are going in terms of their platform being the right platform for young audiences, they'll just buy a platform that is. That's what they did with Instagram when they bought it for a billion dollars, which was the steal of a lifetime when you think mm-hmm. of what Instagram is worth now. But they could do that. You know, that, that option's always available. Whatever the next cool hit platform is for young people, they're just going to swallow it up and make it part of their portfolio and drive themselves to creators that way. And certainly TikTok is, you know, maybe ByteDance might be willing to part with that if Facebook... Uh, ponies up enough money but whenever you got that much cash you you can find a way to to uh potentially thread the needle there but it it is an exciting challenge for facebook and i think it's an exciting opportunity for indie creators because i love the idea of all this big tech money coming in and just people throwing it at uh, indie creators to get them onto their platform um and the fact that they're doing direct payments to the, to the creators or that they're proposing they'll be doing direct payments to creators who are producing things for facebook is a big deal, right? Yeah. Like this isn't hypothetical money. This is you. You would be getting each, you know. I, I say check because I'm old, but you know what I mean. You will get money. <laughs> Absolutely. I think the platforms are slowly starting to realize that if you're gonna, if you want the best creators, it's no longer going to be enough to just offer them a platform. Hey, this is going to be the place where you can create and show your stuff and have your audience, and that's all we need to do for you. And there's enough creators out there who are achieving enough success that they can say, no, no, that's not good enough. You're not doing us a favor by being on your platform. We're doing you a favor by being on the platform. Um, and uh, y'all rack bunny, the comment there uh, brings up an interesting point says, I hate how Facebook forces you into an account when trying to use Oculus. I think that is another big issue that Facebook's going to have to overcome is Word. if they're going, and it's not just Oculus, by the way, a lot of the things that Facebook has, it's messenger platform, it's a, uh, it's communication services, things like that. They're all contingent on having what many young people don't have, which is a Facebook account. And they're going to need to figure out how to make their content platforms more just open because it's all about having the biggest possible audience. And if you put any hindrance in the way of your audience accessing that content, whether it's creating an account or having a paywall or otherwise, that's not going to make your platform particularly hospitable for creators. Speaking of money getting thrown around the creator economy, I do want to bring up one other uh, of the of the triumvirate of the three great articles that Taylor Lorenz wrote, we, we we spoke about the first two. Here's another one about money getting thrown around in the creator economy. It was an article by Taylor Lorenz and Tim Wu, talking about as about how as the as creators are becoming 
more numerous, as more people are making creative content online, there is a more and more opportunities for companies to emerge that are serving creators, hence the creator economy. And for the first time, the VC class is starting to take notice. More and more money is starting to flow to these companies, flow into these industries. And that's what this article spoke about. According to tech news site, The Information, VC firms in just 2021 alone have already invested $2 billion into creator-focused startups this year. I mean, the year's not even over yet. That's that's twice as much as Mark Zuckerberg's pledging to bring in creators. We're throwing around a lot of billion-dollar amounts. But it, it's interesting because it's saying that not only is there a, the first article talked about how there's a thriving market for indie creators, but there's perhaps an even larger thriving market for the companies that are supporting these creators. Uh, one of the articles spoke about the old adage of the people who really made money during the gold rush in the, in the uh, 1840s weren't the people mining for the gold. It was the folks selling the pickaxes, right? right. And so that's what this idea is, is that the real money in the in the creator economy isn't just in creating it's creating the tools for creators to create promote distribute and you know that's that's where the uh that's where the money's going to lie and what i sort of drew from this and it's the advice that i impart to indie creators is as you continue your creative career keep one eye on making great content but keep the other eye on problems that exist in your industry and how you might be able to create a product, a service, an app, a platform to serve that problem, to solve that problem, to serve creators. Because who's in a better position to know what creators need than creators? And if any one of them can come up with a solution that all this VC money that's getting thrown around might want to invest in, that's a great way for indie creators to make a long-term sustainable living in this industry. I certainly hope so, and I think I think there is possibilities there. I think one thing that I get concerned about when I start hearing about venture capitalists getting involved is this reminds me a little bit, and tell me if I'm off base here, Ryan, of in the 70s, Frampton Comes Alive comes out. Record companies go, oh, no, hey, we can make money doing this? We better start <laughs> investing. In, and I'm like, are VCs going to just become the new record labels? Is that where we're going to be at, where they're going to like, well, I invested in this? And now I want to control this X, Y, and Z. I think it may be different because it seems like we're really talking more about services than the actual product. But I am leery of that. Call it, I, re, I, re, I realize I'm being the half glass empty here tonight, Ryan. It's not my intent, but it's where my mind goes. I know. And your hairstyle looks so exciting and positive. And you're, and, but, you're bringing, but you're bringing us down at the same time. But you got an excellent point there, Zach. It reminds me a lot of what Mary Amber was talking about a few weeks ago when she was on the podcast which is this idea of when she spoke about how it's, you know, it's legitimately tough for a lot of indie creators to be successful on platforms like Twitch, because ultimately these platforms, while still trying to be more creative, creator friendly, don't exist to help the creators. They exist to help right. Twitch. They, they exist to serve Amazon. And so one of the things that she was opining about is as we shift away from the record label model, and shift towards a new tech-focused, indie artist-focused industry, are artists just substituting one exploitative group of companies, record labels, for another exploitative group of companies, tech companies? Are VC, are VC firms just another parade of horribles that, you know, that are creating an out-of-the-frying-pan-into-the-fire situation for indie creators? So your concerns, I think, are well-founded. Oh no! 
I was hope that's the answer I didn't wanted. I want I wanted <laughs> no Zach, you're wrong. That can't happen. Okay. Um you know, I'm sorry, people, listeners, I'm trying to be positive. Look, I got a new song coming out on Friday. It's very happy. I don't know why I'm in a bad mood. I, I just you start talking about like Silicon Valley in the music industry, and I just get a little nervous. Well, I have a good point to add to that, but wait, stop everything. You got a song coming out, man? Oh, dude, I I probably should have told you this pre-show. Um, yeah, I was, listening, <laughs> I was listening to an indie radio station a couple of weeks, weeks back. Shout out to Front Range Radio. And they were playing, it was the first day of summer, so they're playing all these different summer songs, right? And it was like, I was like, how come it's only pop, hip-hop, you know, country artists? How come no rock artists have waded into summer songs? And so I was like, I'm an indie creator. I can make my own music. And in two weeks I, or three weeks or whatever, I turned around a single and released it. So, you know, Oh, my God. Comes out Friday. Oh, my God. That's exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. So I'm so sorry I'm in such a bad mood. I, I, I've, I wrote a song about summertime that I love, and now I'm over here just, like, raining on the parade, and it's my bad. I apologize. Okay, two things. First of all, I think we all want to hear this song. Can, can you, like, send it to me? We'll play it next week. I want to, you know, we, we sure. all want to enjoy this particular work of art. Second thing. Okay, to make you feel a little better about the rise of VC in the indie content game, and how it might not be as horrifying as what we left with the record label-based industry. Here's another way to think of it, okay? I often say to people, when they say to me, how do we make record deals less horrifying? You know, Ryan, you've spoken for years about how you are skeptical of the record label model, how you have seen one bad record deal after another. How do, you, how do we make record deals less scary? And one of the things I say is that all we would have to do to make record deals less horrifying is to make them look more like VC deals. Treat a artist like a founder of a company and give that artist similar terms that you would give a founder in a VC deal where the VC firm owns a piece of the artist's career. The artist owns a piece of the artist's career and they are treated as equal profit partners. And they, you know, if they lose, they lose together. If they win, they win together. That, to me, is a better model than what record labels do, which is definitely not an equal partnership. It's the record label wins either way because the artist, you know, the way these things are structured, before the artist makes any money from royalties, and it's a really, really small royalty amount, those tiny royalties have to recoup the money that the label spends to make your record. And then only when that money is recouped, and it never gets recouped unless you're, you know, Ed Sheeran, Um, the artist never sees any money, but the label makes tons of money. And so it's not a VC deal. It's just a loan with really crappy repayment terms. And so if you're telling me that we're shifting from a record label focused industry to a VC focused industry, while I'm certainly not the biggest fan of the, of investment firms, and I think there's plenty of room for exploitation there. I'm a lot more optimistic about that than where we came from before for creators. Well, and I think that that is a point that's that's worth considering, right? Like I think about in your book when you talked about, you know, you don't own your house, right? The if you're an indie artist or you're an artist on a label, excuse me, they own the house, even after the you're album, like yeah. done with it, they they own it, like yeah. And it's uh, and so the idea that maybe you could have a partnership rather than than a ownership relationship. I think makes a lot more sense. I want to see how they play out because I'm in a bad mood today. And so apparently I need to see all the proof ahead of time. <laughs> apparently. Uh, 
But I that is that is a silver lining, I think. If we can get into partnerships with people, that seems a lot better than into a, a traditional record company, record deal or a 360 deal like we see today. And that's what I'm ultimately hoping for. I think that's the real pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for indie creators is as all of these new companies are emerging to serve creators and as more money is getting into the creative industry, if VC firms and these companies that support creators see the creator not as a vendor, not as somebody to exploit, but as an equal partner whose contributions are of equal importance to the product that's being created as all the other people, the investors, the the tech company, and that it's all one ecosystem and all those people can profit together. To me, that's the future of the industry. That's the only entertainment industry I can see where we actually create something that's sustainable where indie creators can thrive. So that's, fingers crossed, what I'm hoping for. Man, when you put it that way, you give me hope, Ryan. Yes, that's that's all I want. A modicum of hope. Because between that and your new song coming out, I figure that's going to give you a lot to smile about. Dude, I'm wearing a yellow shirt, not even my typical black shirt. But Ryan, you're 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 bringing you're bringing the hope to the indie indie uh, creators out there. Thank you, sir. I have a feeling our guest after the break is going to make us feel pretty good too. We're going to take a quick one, and then James Priestner is joining us here on Break the Business. Do not go anywhere. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you, a lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everybody, to Break the Business. We are on all major podcast platforms. We are on Twitch and YouTube Live, Facebook Live, and Periscope. And you can also find us on SiriusXM, Channel 145, Slam Radio. 
Uh, it might be faster to tell you all the places where you can't find us at this point, but we're glad that you did find us. Let's bring on our guest this week. He is the frontman for Vancouver alternative band Rare Americans. The billboard charting band and their innovative animated videos have over 500,000 subscribers on YouTube. And our guest is also a former professional hockey and tennis player. You can find out more about our guest's work by checking out www.rareamericans.com. And you can also check out their upcoming album, Rare Americans 3, Jamesy Boy and the Screw Loose Zoo coming soon. James, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I, I'm going to give you one warning. I have my puppy next to me, and uh, if uh, she's had a long day here in the studio, so if someone comes in, my guess is she's uh, she's going to bark. Uh, so anyway, oh. she's she, she's very sleepy and a little grumpy, so I, I want to give you fair warning. <laughs> well, we have just one rule when it comes to pets from guests here on Break the Business, and that's we want to see them and hear from them as often as possible. So please okay, don't feel well, self-conscious. Uh... Oh my God. <laughs> Look at that. What up, dog? She's fully, uh, she's just taking a nap right now. So. Dude, <laughs> clearly, what's the dog's name? Uh, Alfie. Alfie. Well, Alfie seems very engaged in the proceedings, just completely passed <laughs> out on your couch there. Yeah. Gosh. Well, it's, it's really great to meet you, James. We've been falling in love with your music over here before the show and just, just kind of falling in love with your whole story. I want to start with this. Okay. I have read that your musical journey began with Sarah McLaughlin and an ice hockey dressing room. And I know that sounds very salacious the way I described it, but can you tell us about this story? Oh yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I was playing uh, in the Western Hockey League at the time, which is like the um, highest level of junior hockey in the world. So it's where the NHL drafts from. Um, so we play in uh, pretty big uh, arenas. Um, so we'd get all the major acts who would come through. And um, Sarah McLaughlin was coming through. I was playing in a town called Prince George at the time. So she was playing in the arena. And um, I had just started writing songs at this point in time and um, – I probably thought they were better than they were. Um, but anyway, I, uh, she was using our dressing room as her green room. So um, I asked my coach, I said, do you think there's any chance um, I could play a song for Sarah McLaughlin? Um, and in the back of my head, I don't know why, I was like, hmm, maybe if she likes it, she'll, she'll do something cool and invite me on stage or something. Um, so anyway, he... Next thing uh, I know, I'm at Lilith Fair. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, she, uh, my coach just went and asked her and she was like, yeah, sure. Bring them, bring them back right before the show or whatever. So, um, sure enough, I brought my guitar like right before she went on stage and I was in her green room with her and her guitarist. And, uh, I just played to them a song on the acoustic guitar and, uh, she was actually like quite receptive. She was really nice. She said like, you know, she wasn't like, Hey, I'm going to invite you up tonight, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of crushed my dreams a little bit, but she was like, no, you know, great, great job. Keep writing, keep, keep going kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the start of it. And, uh, I, you know, I really fell in love with, uh, the craft of songwriting and, um, it kind of took over, I would say my love of hockey at the time. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was about 10 years ago now. And I, I love it just as much as I did then. So, well, I do want to talk all about your music, but you are the first pro hockey player we've had on the program. And I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you at least one hockey question. 
as yeah, our, sure. as our official break the business hockey correspondent. All right, I'm from Miami, Florida. That's where we do this show. So naturally, I'm a Florida Panthers fan. Am I right to feel like I got royally screwed by the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are a bunch of cheaters who don't know anything about what a salary cap is? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> caps are they're very perplexing in, in major league sports. It's it's strange. Like it, it changes all the time, um, and it, it seems like some teams play by the rules and others don't. Um, uh, Florida, the Panthers. Though one of my best friends uh, plays for the Florida Panthers. Actually, his name's Kevin Connaughton. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we we cool. we grew up together. We we played for years together. We ever since we were like eight years old or something. So I think he just resigned as well. So I think he's coming back for at least another year. Fantastic. All right. Look. As a Canadian, as a hockey fan, like it has to drive you crazy when a team like the Montreal Canadiens, like hockey's in their blood. They've won. Oh, there's your dog. They've won more Stanley Cups than anybody. Like it has to be frustrating for a whole country to lose the Stanley Cup to a team from Tampa. Yeah, but the best players on Tampa are Canadian. So, like, (laughs) so you win either way. You you know, dude, that's checkmate. Yeah. uh, You know, Canada is just so good at hockey it seems like no matter which team wins it's going to have a strong core of canadian talents um and you know stamco's obviously kind of leading the way as a good canadian boy so um you know but i i really wanted montreal to win uh they were such an underdog going into the whole playoffs uh, and i thought Carey price he was just playing so well that i thought that he was just had unshakable confidence but um Tampa is just man just the firepower and the offense of the team was just way too much so unfortunately I I wanted it to at least be a competitive series but uh it just it just wasn't which uh is too bad I I thought they could once they snuck out game four game it was three nothing once they got uh the three one I thought there was a chance if they could get it to three two but uh it wasn't meant to be yeah well I'm I'm I feel like it's just it's hurting me from all ends here because like Zach Sloan is from Colorado and all I remember from my childhood is the only Stanley Cup final the Panthers ever made it to the Colorado Avalanche just throttled us swept us in four games so just like all around me I'm just very frustrated hockey fan over here I'm impressed that you're even a hockey fan uh being in Florida it's not uh it's probably not the average person's probably not their favorite sport there's like six of us down here we we meet we meet once a week you know we have little meetings it's great awesome so you know we haven't had too many athletes slash musicians on the program. Is there anything about being like an elite level professional athlete that inspired you in your music career? Any lessons from that life that you've taken into music? Uh, I think so. Um, one thing for me is uh, when you're an athlete, you just, you have to, you practice so much. You, it's really about repetition. It's about playing games. It's about um, just re- re- repetition and, and really kind of winning at every level um, that, that, that's just such a big thing in sports. You know, you go from, uh, even as a kid, you're always kind of one-upping yourself. Um, and I feel I take the same kind of mentality, I guess, with music. Um, you know, I, I feel that we've gotten better, uh, over time, uh, just the more times that we've been through, um, just making albums, writing songs, producing songs. Um, we've just really focused on, I'm doing it a lot uh, over the last three years. Uh, and I think that's kind of the, 
athlete's mentality in me uh, is just to kind of keep going, 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 do it as much as humanly possible. And, you know, eventually if you keep kind of putting in the work and the reps, good things will happen. Um, and uh, I remember playing in bands, um, you know, before that, you know, weren't really doing anything. And I would be like, guys, we should be practicing four times a week. And people in kind of hobby bands, uh, they're just, they look at you and they're like, what? Like, uh, why would we need to do that? We know the songs. Like, why would we have to practice four times a week? And I'm just like, man, do you think like the best bands in the world are, are never practicing before they do tours, before they go mm. albums, just because they know the songs? Like, no, like, you know, we, we got to work on our show. We got to, um, how can we do a better musical transition here? How can we get our singing tighter um, you know, we should be practicing six times a week. Like, um, that was just always kind of my mentality. Uh, and I remember just at the beginning, people looked at me a little bit sideways. It just, uh, it wasn't necessarily the, the typical musician's approach, I guess. Uh, uh. I dig that approach though. I, I like that idea a lot. I think the, the notion of, uh, putting an athlete's mentality into, the uh, creative process is just really terrific idea. I love the approach of it. I, I mean, Zach, uh, is, uh, would you ever consider, uh, taking an athlete's approach to, uh, creating content? Would you make like six episodes or six uh, rehearsals a week? Well, I'll tell you one thing that James said that resonated with me was the idea that practice, you know, the repetitions for improving things. You're not just trying to learn the, learn the music. You're trying to improve upon it. And but one thing I did notice because James, I saw an article of yours or an interview with you that has an awesome headline of uh, "You trade trade your goal stick for the guitar." But you said something in, in that article that I thought was really interesting, where you said, uh, "Past learning to drive and desire from sports, now songwriting feels like a ghost takes over your body." Do you still feel that way? Mm, yes and no. I feel like it can happen at times where you just get really. Uh, you're obviously a songwriter, so I'm sure, um, you know, you have this experience too, where at times you just get inspiration and it just takes you and it feels like the song just is kind of a gift to you or something. Uh, and it happens so quickly. Um, but there's other times where I know every single time if I'm like, Hey, I want, I need to write a song or I want to write a song or if I'm given the opportunity to write for a movie or for something, I absolutely know more or less 100% of the time if i say hey i'm going to slide i'm going to i'm going to put aside 5 hours here i have developed the skill to be able to write a song um so i, I know that every single time i can come out with something on the other end it's going to be to different degrees of good of course um but i feel songwriting is definitely a skill that you acquire um but then you know there are the times that happen where you do feel like something a ghost or some inspiration from somewhere comes and just hands you this song on a silver platter even times where like you know i always keep my phone next to my bed and i could be falling asleep and you know literally one eye shut and bam a melody pops into your head or a concept or a song title or one line or anything and you're like where did that come from and why um so you take out your phone and i always make a habit to record the voice memo or, or write down a lyric or whatever and um you come back to it so i think it's a little bit of both but the one thing i really don't like I would say this is more of my athletes mentality is I really can't stand when I hear artists or creators and they're like oh, I'm just I can't do anything I'm just not feeling inspired uh, and weeks could go by of you not feeling that spark of inspiration 
Um, and, and I take more of the Nick Cave approach, I would say, which, you know, he's like, man, I treat my I treat music like it's my job because it is. And, and I come to my piano and my studio and my writing spot every single day. Uh, and I, I work for whatever, eight or ten, nine hours a day. And um, I, I go in there with a good attitude and see what I can come out with every single day. Um, and, and I feel like that's uh, always been the way that I like to work. Uh, and I think that if, if I just waited around for weeks at a time for that ghost kind of situation to happen, I'd probably write five songs a year. Um, and that's never been what uh, I wanted this kind of project to be about. So, um, yeah, you know, everybody's different, of course. Uh, and I also think that you do need breaks sometimes to get away and, you know, and have some experiences to come back with a fresh perspective. But um, at least for me personally, I, I, I feel like I like to come every day and kind of put in my time and see what I can come out with on the other end. Well, speaking of the things that you come out with, in addition to the songwriting, which, I, you know, obviously the songs are awesome, one banger after another. Another creative product that I, I really enjoy from uh, Rare Americans that I think uh, other indie creators could look to for inspiration is what you guys do with the video medium. You, a lot of your music videos have animation like that's that's your big approach and really engaging animation too and and we're going to play one of your uh, animated videos a little bit later in this interview but i'd first love to hear a little bit about what your process is for creating these really cool videos that you do uh usually it starts with the song um so if a song follows some sort of a narrative that you know largely the videos kind of write themselves uh, in a sense um, so if it does come from the song and it's narrative driven, then, you know, we'll typically go and create some sort of a mood board, um, what the color scheme could look like, what the, you know, what the rough vibe of it, if it's a Dr. Seuss like thing, which we've done, or if it's something, um, you know, that I take inspiration from elsewhere and, um, then I'll, I'll pass that on, uh, to our animation company, uh, which is called Solus Animation out of Toronto. Uh, and then they'll take that, kind of run with it. Um, they'll take the story and really hammer it down so it, it matches the beats of the song and it can fit in a concise, obviously, medium of usually around three minutes. Um, and then they hit me with an animatic, uh, which is like a, essentially a, a moving pictures, just hand-drawn pictures, very squiggle, rough, uh, rough artwork. Um, that gets us all our story beats so we know exactly what's going to happen where. Um, and then... From there, that's when we really kind of hone in on the, the story. And if there's any changes that want to be made, we do that during the animatic process. And then once we both sign off and agree kind of on every beat of the way through, that's when they start animating. And usually it takes about, you know, around four weeks to complete a video. And, and each video is really, really special. And th these videos must really resonate with people because you, you, you got a really terrific following on YouTube. People seem to really be gravitating towards this content at what point did you sort of realize man what we're doing on youtube is really hitting with people and, and this approach is really starting to work for us uh on the first record we did um one animated video called cats dogs and rats and then we did about four or five live per, uh, live action uh, videos which i i was running a small kind of production company at the time so i was producing these live action uh videos and i really like those as well but um i felt that um, a, they're very expensive. B, there's so much work to do. Um, just getting permits for things, finding your actors, getting your directors and your crew. They're just such huge operations. 
Um, and we started realizing quite quickly that our music oftentimes followed a character. It was fairly character driven and it had a, a strong narrative focus in our music. Um, we realized, you know, through this process that we did want to tell big stories. Um, and, and with live action, you're so limited by budget and resources and time that we figured, hey, you know, people seem to really like cats, dogs and rats. They felt like it was a, a unique kind of mixture with our music. So why don't we try this again uh, and tell some bigger stories? Because you're not you have no constraints with animation. You know, it could be a video that sets in hell or heaven or in Vancouver and it's the same price. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, so that that really gave us a lot of freedom. So um, we found this company, Solus. Uh, we found them through a band called Pup, a Canadian band who I really like. Um, they did a video with Solus. Um, so we reached out and we hired them to do three videos kind of in early 2019. Uh, and one of those was a song called Brittle Bones Nikki. Um, and that video, when, when we put it out, it, it really took a life uh, of its own. Um, people really just identified with the character and um, people were very invested in, in this character's story. And um, yeah, it's, it was just kind of a wild journey. People have gotten tattoos of Brittle Bones Nikki. They, wow. Someone dressed up as Nikki and went to Comic-Con. Um, so people just really were invested uh, in this kid's life. Um, so we figured uh, animation was a really unique kind of uh, addition to what, what we did. And it was a nice kind of combination. So we decided to kind of go all in with it. That's really, really smart. And it seems like you really caught lightning in a bottle there. Before we play that, uh, an example of this, these really cool animated videos you do, and we're going to play the video for your song Baggage a little bit later, I want to talk about another thing that you do that I, I really like. And you guys seem to have a PhD in fan engagement. One of the things that, sh that I really dig about what you do are these uh, weekly Zoom meetings that you're doing with your fans. I'm, we're always advocating for creators to have direct fan connections as much as possible, whether it's through social media, whether it's through live streaming platforms like Twitch, or even now with the emergence of video conferencing in the last year. This can seem to me to be a great way to stay in contact with the people that love you. Uh, tell me a little bit about these uh, Zoom meetings that you're doing. Yeah, we just wanted, um, you know, a fun way to interact with our fans, also learn about them. Um, I think that's a, you know, we cover a lot of different genres in our music. So sometimes it can be uh, difficult to figure out if, where can we find new fans and who are they going to listen to besides Rare Americans? So, um, you know, during the pandemic, uh, I figured, hey, let's, let's reach out to some fans. And, you know, instead of them asking me questions, I get to interview them. Um, so we kind of flipped it around. So it, it was really fun. I, I learned a lot about a lot of different people from all over the world, um, figured out artists that they liked. Um, and well, obviously liking us as well, which was very, it was an interesting um, data gathering experiment. Uh, yeah. um, I, I learned a lot about what makes our fans tick and who they are and how old they are and what they want to do with their lives. Uh, it was just a very interesting way to kind of create almost a fan profile, um, which I know pretty much every brand in the world is an exercise that they'll go through is to try to figure out, you know, who is an ideal follower or who is someone that we can advertise to, to hopefully have them follow us. 
Um, so I think the more you know about your audience, the more effective it can be in trying to target them to um, try to grow and get new fans. Um, so that was also part of it. I dig it. Our guest is Vancouver band Rare Americans frontman James Priestner. His new album, Rare Americans 3, Jamesy Boy and the Screwloose Zoo is coming out soon. Check that out. Here's what I would recommend. Here's here's the uh, the proceedings that I'd like to do here, James. Um, I'd like to go ahead and play your video now so that the, the fans can check out the really cool stuff you guys are doing with animation. We're going to play Baggage. After that, I'm gonna, I want to bring you back on again so we can ask you the final question that we ask all of our guests. Does that work? Yeah, that totally works. Sorry, uh, if if you hear, there's big guitars happening in the background. We're actually in the we're in the midst of recording uh, the next album, so uh, we're we're in the studio right now. Oh, that's great. Well, don't worry, we're having no less than three thousand tech issues happening on this live program right now, so it's we're just okay. rolling with it. All right, okay, great. Lauren, go ahead and cue up "Baggage" by Rare Americans for us here on Break the Business. Said you're having strange dreams. Are they good or bad or both? Got a head full blurry thoughts, babe. You living with the ghost in a big house in the country. Too much space and you feel trapped. Thoughts go bouncing off the walls. Got no one there to watch your back. Should we start loving? Give this a try. You got bags, but so do I. You got bags, but so do I. Let's give it a try. B-A-G-G-A-G-E, get off my back, you're killing me. Get off my back, get off my back, get off my back. I'm breaking free. I'm breaking free. I'm breaking free. I'm breaking free. This love is like a business, it could drive us both insane. Blind emotion leads to commotion, but part of me likes that game. Part of me wants the chaos, and part of me walks alone. What am I doing? Who am I fooling? What's the life spent on your own? Should we start loving? Give this a try. You got baggage, but so do I. You got baggage, but so do I. Let's give it a try. B-A-G-G-A-G-E, get off my back, you're killing me. Get off my back, get off my back, get off my back. I'm breaking free. I'm breaking free. I'm breaking free. I'm breaking free. Break it. 
That was Baggage by Rare Americans here on Break the Business. Woo, my goodness. So that song absolutely slaps. And uh, that video was making me feel all sorts of feelings, James. That was uh, absolutely tremendous. Thank you so much for letting us play that here on the show. Sure, yeah, that's actually a true story. That's an exceptional uh, that- yeah. The whole uh, the whole video is actually a totally true story. No kidding. I mean, just whew, just really powerful stuff. I, I encourage our viewers and listeners, go to rareamericans.com, go to the Rare Americans YouTube page, subscribe to it, and check out all the really terrific video content this band has. It's, it's really something special. Before we let you go, James, and it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you this week, we want to ask you our final question. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Uh, let me think. Uh, probably a couple. Um, I, I guess um, a couple things would be, one, I see a lot of people spend an unbelievable amount of time and effort into creating a song and producing a song and doing absolutely everything they can on the creative side. And then they just kind of put it out on YouTube or something with no plan whatsoever. And they expect something to happen. Um, and I think that in 2021, you have to be a good music marketer as well. Uh, I think it's something that you really have to think about. Uh, and I think you have to look at other audience or sorry, other artists that you feel you want to be somewhat similar to. Um, one thing I've noticed um, is artists that really stand out uh, are professional marketers uh if you see someone like oliver tree um whether you like him or you don't like him uh he gets your attention and you can't not uh be kind of captivated by what he does Uh, he makes you listen to whatever he puts out Uh, or someone like youngblood who's got an extremely strong message of inclusion Um, these are people who think about their marketing and presentation probably as much or more as they think about their creative process so um, that's something I think that a lot of young creators, um, y- you have to embrace and you have to, um, art is also business and business is art. They have to go hand in hand together, yeah. uh, in order for you not to live and sleep on your parents' couch forever. Um, so I think that's something that, you know, people should embrace as young artists and educate themselves on. Um, and I guess the, the second point would be you have to be brutally obsessed with what you do, I think, in this industry. You have to have a lot of passion and you have to want to do this all the time. And if you're someone who's um, passively likes to do this, you probably it's not the industry for you. Um, there's a lot of highs. There's a lot of lows. Um, you have to kind of ride the wave and you have to believe in yourself and you have to, I think, just be brutally obsessed with what you do. Um, because you're going to be your biggest cheerleader uh, all the time. Um, so, yeah, I guess those would be my two my two tips. That's phenomenal. James, it's really been a pleasure, man. Please don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Great. Thank you so much, guys. I, I really appreciate you guys having me. You got it. Best of luck. Okay. Oh, wowee. That was, that was something else. I... I feel like I can run through a wall now, Zach. I mean, just, you know, ha- having an athlete sort of speak to me and motivate me, it makes me want to just, you know, be a lot more motivated about my own career and, and, and you know, have a, a seven days a week, always be working mindset. Yeah, I'm still t- <laughs> taking it back. That that song and that video are incredible. Really? Like if, if you weren't able to watch that, go watch that. That's 
that may be the one of the best videos I've ever seen. Yeah, that's impressive. It's it's really something else, and I love the idea. I mean, it's a that, great song. Like I'm not saying yeah. it's a video. It's great. Yeah, and and I love that. Like one of the things that motivated him to pursue this medium is cost, right? Like music videos can be very expensive, and he was able to use animation to keep his band's production costs down and create a video that really is something powerful. I mean, it was, it's really, really great. So um, our, our guest next week is going to be Tommy Stalkneck from uh, the CEO of single music and uh, comedian. Chris Gethard is going to be joining us on the 28th. Uh, my thanks to you, Zach, our thanks to LEK entertainment for putting this show together. Thanks to slam radio. Always a pleasure folks. Thank you all for checking out break the business. We're going to see you next week. 